So I don't know about you, but I see things all the time that don't really seem to make sense to me. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me why people park a $20,000 vehicle in their driveway and fill their garage with worthless junk. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I don't understand why when I go to the bank, the vault doors are open and the pens are chained to the counter. That just doesn't make any sense to me at all. I don't know why I try to make myself feel better because I go to McDonald's and I order four cheeseburgers and then I tack a Diet Coke on the end of it as, as if that somehow balances out the calorie scale. Some things in life just don't make sense. And I'm going to warn you before I start this weekend, at the end of this section of Joseph's life, you're probably going to have more questions than answers because not a lot of this is going to make sense. You may walk out of here this weekend going, where in the world was God in all of that? And I'm going to do everything I can to not resolve a lot of that tension for you. Now, you need to know how difficult that is for me, okay? I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. I want you all to feel complete every time you walk out of here. I'm telling you on the front end, you're probably going to walk out with a what by the time we're done. If you weren't here last weekend, let me get you up to speed very quickly so you can join us on this journey. Last week, we met a teenager named Joseph, 17 years old, kind of in a broken, dysfunctional family. And these are the things we learned about his life. We learned that Joseph was a favorite son. Joseph's dad loved him more than he loved his other brothers. And I registered this with you. Joseph didn't ask for this, okay? Joseph didn't ask to be the favorite. His dad just liked him. And so Joseph got both the good and the bad of the fact that, that his dad played favorites. He got the good in the fact that, I mean, there are some benefits to being the favorite. He got the bad in the fact that he had to actually deal with his brothers. We talked about the fact that that favoritism ripped this family right down the middle. We also learned Joseph was a dreamer. We learned Joseph, or God talked to Joseph in dreams. Just like Joseph didn't ask to be a favorite, he also didn't ask how God would communicate with him. God would show him pictures. He would show him dreams. He, he, he would open up this incredible gift that was beautiful and valid and amazing, but there was a problem. We learned this last week, that Joseph didn't use his spiritual gift with wisdom. Okay, God showed Joseph two dreams about his future, and instead of responding with a, oh, that's good to know, or a, hey, God, do you actually want me to share this with anybody else? Instead, he took the dreams and he threw them in the faces of his brothers. Some of you will remember the two dreams. One of the dreams was, was it kind of had an agricultural theme. And there was this group of wheat sheaves, you know, they put the wheat together in a sheaf, and, and, and there were 12 of them, and one of them stood up, and all of the other sheaves bowed down and worshipped the one. And Joseph was like, I'm the one standing up. Kiss my wheat. Basically, that's what he said to his brothers, okay? And then the other dream had to do with the fact that, that, that there was this group of 11 stars. And, and, you know, just amazingly, Joseph has 11 brothers. And all the stars bowed down to this one particular star. And Joseph shared the dream. And this was the basic result. Joseph was hated by his brothers. They hated his guts. That's where we left the story last week. We've got a family wrapped in jealousy and anger. And the brothers are ticked. But it's okay because for a little while, they actually get sent off to a different part of the country. They're shepherds. That's what the, his family did for a living. And so they're out looking after sheep's, uh, sheep in, in an area called Dothan. And it's all good until Joseph's dad makes the decision to send the favorite kid, complete with his coat of many colors that we talked about last week, and he sent them off to go and check on his brothers. Now you can remember, last week, Joseph also checked up on his brothers, and when he came back to his dad, what did he bring with him? A bad report. So I'm sure when the brothers saw Joseph come, it's like, oh boy, here he comes again. 
That's where we're going to catch up this week. So you can read it together in your outline. You can grab your app or your Bible. Genesis 37. We're going to start halfway through verse 17 where the Bible says this. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. This is their decision all of a sudden. We're going to find out whether or not we actually bow down to this kid or not. We're going to find out how that works when he's dead. The Bible says that apparently Joseph sharing his dreams had surfaced just a tiny little bit of hostility within his brother's. Apparently being the favorite has a cost and a steep one at that. And this is getting out of hand. And you would hope that somebody in the story would actually put his hand up and say, okay guys, we don't want to, come on, let's not do that. Well, this is what happens. The Bible says when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take this life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. This one voice of reason and a life is spared. This, do we all see the power of one voice? That should be a lesson to all of us. Evil triumphs when good men do nothing. At least Reuben gave it a shot, right? Verse 23 says this, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing. Last week I called it a North Face jacket. That will show up a little later on. And they took him and they threw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And then this is the next part. It's not in your outline. It's going to show up at the end part. It says, And then they sat down and had lunch. What? I love that last little detail. Hey, here he comes. Let's kill the dreamer. Nah, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit and have lunch. So the brothers are having lunch topside. Joseph is naked in a pit wondering, what in the world just happened to me? I mean, one day you're the favorite and you got a really nice North Face jacket and the next second you're buck naked in the bottom of a hole and your brothers are up top eating chicken wings. It's like, how in the world does that go together? The Bible doesn't tell us how long Joseph was down there. The Bible does not tell us what he did while he was down there. So we just are kind of left to draw from our own experiences. So here's what I want you to do. Put yourself in the bottom of the pit with Joseph. Just for a second. Now come on. It's not nearly as hard as you think it might be. Because you've all been in a pit, haven't you? Your family abandons you and you don't know why. You've been in a pit. You did everything you could to heal your marriage. And you're still here alone. You know what it feels like to be in a pit. You loved your kid their whole life and they still walked out and have not spoken to you in years. You know what it feels like to be in a pit. You tried to use a spiritual gift and the very group that you tried to bless rejected you and told you that you're weird. You've been in a pit. You did everything the doctor told you to. And you still ended up depressed. You've been in a pit. You tried to overcome an addiction all by yourself. And yet you still ended up in this deep, dark, inescapable hole. While it seems like the world just continues on and has lunch. So we've all been there. 
Let's, let, let's not pretend that Joseph is any different than any of the rest of us. So while you're down in that pit, what do you do? What do you do? I came up with a list. This isn't very theologically profound, but you know, this is what I got this week. All right? I came up with a list of stuff you can do while you're in a pit. All right? And I know all of these because I've done all of them. Here's the first one. You can sulk. Okay? You can say it. Life's not fair. I can't believe I'm here. It's everybody else's fault. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Oh dear, life is so hard. Where's Dr. Phil when you need him? I mean, sulking is an option, right? You can just say, this is just, this is just so wrong. I can't believe this. You can sulk. That's one thing you can do in the bottom of a pit. Secondly, you can attempt to find a way out. I mean, because that's what we do, right? Our first instinct is, I've got to get out of this circumstance. I'm going to get out of this on my own. I will dig, I will claw, I will climb, I will do whatever I have to, but I am going to get out of this pit. I mean, if you're from the modern world, it's kind of like, I'm going to visualize my way out of this pit. I'm going to picture myself on the surface and levitate my way out of this pit with positive thinking. Some of us are like, I'm going to get out of it in my mind. I'm going to ascend to a higher plane. You know, I'm going to do this on my own. Some of us just live in denial. I am not in a pit. This is not a pit. It's just the reverse of light. That's what I'm experiencing right now. I am not in a pit. And then you open up your eyes and this is what you learn. Wherever you go, there you are. Here's another idea. You can plot revenge on those who put you in the pit. Boy, I have done that one. You can say this. I mean, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this option because this theme is going to show up later on in the story of Joseph big time. But can we just be honest and say how we do this? We allow the cancer of revenge to creep into our thinking. We plan and we plot the pain against those who have hurt us. And we ignore God completely because God said to all of his children, vengeance is mine. For all those of us, and I include myself in that category, who have ever plotted revenge against people who've hurt us, here's the big problem with doing that. It's irreverent. And I'm going to take an entire message and unpack that can of worms. The tumor of bitterness grows. We commit murder in our minds because we just believe somebody's got to pay. Somebody has to feel the same wound that I'm feeling and I'm not going to let it go until my precious pays for it. Here's the last one. We can get angry with the God who made the pit. Because this is where the questions come, right? God, why are you doing this to me? I mean, if you loved me, I'd not be in this hole, but because you stopped paying attention, because you, so I went to sleep at the wheel, I'm here and it's your fault. Because if you were God and you loved me, I would never experience the pain of the pit. And that's where we find Joseph. I mean, he's 17. And he's alone and he's scared. I mean, I have no idea what was going on through his head, but I'm sure all of these options showed up at some point. And, and I know you came to be encouraged, but can, I just, can we just get this out of the way? Life involves pits. You're going to find one sooner or later. I wish I could tell you that it's all just, you know, Duck Dynasty, happy, happy, happy. But it's not. It's not. This church is a compilation of people who have experienced pit moments. In fact, that's kind of what makes this place so special to me because uh, if you're one of those people who claims you've never been in a pit before, we will refer you to a class in denial and then welcome you to join our little club. 
This week I'd like to introduce you to a young man who's going to share his story. He knows what Joseph feels like. And if you listen very closely, he's also going to recommend to you a very specific pattern of behavior that may actually help extricate you from a pit. Let's watch the screens together. In Romans 8, 28, there's a verse that says, We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to His purpose. A verse that is very prominent in my life. I had uh, abusive parents. My biological father was a poly-substance drug user. Consequently, I reaped the effects of that. For 11 years, I endured abuse, um, both in Puerto Rico and in America. Growing up into adulthood, graduating high school, um, ruining athletic opportunities, through a series of events, uh, a series of, of failures, and you know, a marriage that went down to the dumps. You know, God finally got my attention. I got in trouble, you know, with the law a few times. I was out there in the streets, uh, trying to be somebody that really, to be honest, I wasn't inside. And consequently, that landed me in prison. But through that, while God didn't alter the sin that I committed that led me to that, He used that as a means to get me to a place where I could be still and know that He is a God and learn about Him. So as I learned about Him and I studied about Him and I experienced and encountered Him, I came out a totally different man than I came in. I said, you know, God, I'm gonna give my whole life to you. You've done something that nothing else could accomplish. You've done something that, you know, club life couldn't accomplish, women couldn't accomplish, street life couldn't accomplish, money couldn't accomplish, success couldn't accomplish. And that is meaning and permanence in my life. You gave me something that I could have never been able to do, and that is the capacity to be able to love others and receive love. To be able to think less of myself and think more of others. To have the peace that truly surpasses all understanding. It shows that, you know, whatever was intended for evil in my life, God indeed intended it for good. Because now, God is using me for His glory. He's utilizing me to reach others. We all go through life with issues. We all go through life with ailments. We all go through life with questions that are unanswerable. But I can tell you that God, Jesus Christ, is the solution to all those issues. He is the antidote to all the anxiety and all the ailments that life throws at us. Without Jesus, I don't know where I would be. For now, I'm a better father than my daughter. Now I'm a better man. And now I'm a better person due to Jesus Christ. I implore you just to pray and, and reach out to God. Ask Him, hey Father, could you reveal your son to me? Could you reveal Jesus? And to those that know Jesus, hey Jesus, right now my life isn't going how I ought. Right now there's a lot of confusion going around. There's a lot of tumultuous waves that are around me. And like Peter, I'm taking my, my sight off you. Could you refocus me, Father God? Could you help me? Because God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God of peace. God is a God of mercy. And this is all done through Jesus Christ. Do you want to continue your struggles in life on your own or do you want something outside of yourself that is real to be able to give you the strength 
to endure what this world offers because jobs come and go, friends come and go, family fluctuates, but Jesus Christ is always there, his arms open, waiting for you to turn your face to him. Will you do that? I'm Harry Joel Ortiz, and this is my story. What's your story? I mean, if Joseph was telling his story, he would say, I, I, man, Eric and I, I've been there. How about you? Have you reached that point in your life when, when it feels like everything else has become, has, has become nothing around you and you're done sulking and you're done pointing fingers and you're just so unbelievably low that the only choice you have is to throw your hands and say, God, do you hear me? Do you hear me? If you were listening to Eric's story, you could actually hear him as he actually instructed us. He started pulling out little pieces of Joseph's story and little pieces of another man's story by the name of David. This is where Old Testament narrative gets very difficult because the Bible doesn't tell us how Joseph processed his time in the pit. All it says is, he went in and that's where we find him. We don't hear any inner dialogue. An angel doesn't show up and talk to him. He's just stuck in the bottom of a hole. And because it doesn't tell us how Joseph processed the pit time, we have to turn to another friend from the Bible with a little bit of pit experience. And I appreciate that Eric went ahead and introduced him to you. His name was King David. And he spent a lot of time in holes in the ground. Some of the holes he dug for himself, others were dug for him. And if you read some of the songs that he wrote, you'll find out that he actually suggests better stuff that you can do when you're in a pit. We talked about some of the stuff you can do. Now we're talking about better choices. Here's one that I think is so unbelievably important. You need to be honest about how you got there. I love the fact that Eric was man enough to say, God didn't alter what was happening around me, but I made some bad choices. You know, just like Joseph, much of what happened to Joseph happened to him. He didn't choose to be a favorite. He didn't choose to have the gift of dreams. He didn't choose his family. Some would even say that he's an innocent victim. And please hear me when I say this. This is where this stuff gets so scary to talk about without being able to actually have a dialogue, okay? There are some truly innocent victims in this room. You were thrown into the pit by someone or something evil, and you did nothing to bring that on yourself. For some, I'm not suggesting that you had anything to do with the evil that was done to you. You had no responsibility for the pain that was inflicted against you. But the reality is this, that's not the case for Joseph. It's not the case for Joseph. I love the fact that Eric manned up and said, no, there were some decisions that I made as well. Because in the case with Joseph, his arrogance, his lack of wisdom, his lack of humility, his mouth did contribute to his current location. And I think if he would have asked God, should I share these dreams now? I, I think if he would have asked for wisdom, it could have completely redirected the story. But the reality is he didn't. And so he ends up in this moment of clarity. I mean, I don't know if you've learned this or not, but when you're in the bottom of a pit, that is an amazing place to get clarity. Listen to David's moment of clarity, Psalm 51. For I know my transgressions, 
And my sin is always before me. Against you, meaning God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David owns it. And at some point, I promise you, Joseph's going to own it too. David realizes he he dug his own pit. So for those of us who are here who were not innocent victims, my question to you is, have you considered and weighed your own contribution to the excavation that's happening around you? That's a big step. That's why we do 12 steps of spiritual journey. That's why we do boundaries. That's why we do deep healing. That's why the, the men meet here on Friday night and do, and do standing firm. We do this work because we understand what it means to own the part that we have to own. I know that Joseph began to take stock of his life in the pit because of how he begins to change over the course of the story. Here's another suggestion from David. Two words, be still. Eric actually quoted that. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I mean, and this is so counterintuitive because everything in us says, get out of the pit. Scramble, plan, do whatever you have to. Buy your way out if you have to. And yet God keeps saying this, stop. Stop sulking. Stop murdering. Stop digging. Stop raging. Stop making assumptions that God is gone. Stop blaming. Stop excusing. Stop deflecting. Stop pretending. Just stop. And believe me, I know how difficult that is. And yet that's what God says we're supposed to do. Be still. Make the conscious decision to stop. Joseph shared his story. David showed his story. Eric shared his story. I might as well throw mine in there too. Over the past couple of years, I've waged a battle in my soul with discouragement. Even though things seem to be going great on the surface, I've been battling in my own soul, and that battle has taken me some, to some unbelievably dark moments. I've fought with everything in me to try and conquer that dark place. I tried to pray my way out, preach my way out, serve my way out, love my way out, memorize my way out, study my way out, reason my way out, and the reality is nothing worked. I wish I could tell you that I got quiet out of an act of my own will, but that would be lying. I got quiet because I was exhausted. There's just no energy left to fight anymore. And just like with Joseph, and just like with David, and just like with Eric, when you finally stop, God meets you there. If you need to find Jesus in this week's story, you need to look in the hole. Because that's where he is. King David suggests another step that accompanies the stillness, and this one's even harder. It's to be convinced that God is with you. See, when life is pressing in on you, you've got to make a conscious decision to believe that God is with you. You have to choose between reasoning away God's presence and actually embracing God's promises. You have to choose to look beyond your current situation and to believe that God was telling the truth when, when he inspired David to write these words. Psalm 139. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Let me interpret that ancient text for you. 
God is everywhere. When you've been fired, He's there. When you got a raise, He was there. When you did the right thing, He was there. When you did the wrong thing, He was there. When you prayed, He was there. When you couldn't even summon a word, He was there. That's God. David says you're going to have to be still enough to form the sentence with the very breath that's almost gone and it's a whisper. Listen to these famous words. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You ready to finish it with me? I will fear no evil for you are with me. Okay, this is just heavy stuff here. This is not, it's all good. Here's three easy ways to get out of a pit. And the Lord knows I've heard so many messages. Just do these four things, you'll be good to go. This is the heavy stuff because it happens deep in the bottom of your soul. You've got to fight with this stuff. Some of you are struggling with the tension right now because what you want more than anything is for God just to show up and make it all better. You want Joseph to get out of the pit. You, you want him to be reconciled with his brothers and you want his dad to show up with North Face jackets for everybody. That's what you're looking for. You want resolution. And this is the way you're thinking. If God really loved Joseph, because, I mean, if God really loves me, I'm going to know it because all the pain's going to go away. Remember that I warned you at the beginning of the message that this might actually leave you with more questions than answers? Well, here it comes, okay? So the guys finished lunch. Joseph, half naked in the bottom of a pit. And the Bible says this. As they finished their lunch, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, so another one of the older guys starts talking, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. I mean, isn't that just great? Judah has a fit of conscience, and this is his solution. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. That's helpful. Your family ever sold you down the river? I asked that question, and I can see what's happening on some of your faces. Just like, man, you have no idea. I'll tell that story. Those sorry excuses for humanity. They walked out on me, and if I ever get my hands on them, I'm going to make them pay. And God would say, stop. Stop. Here's how the story ends. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. To the Ishmaelites. We took him to Egypt. And we're done. And some of you are like, no, 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 don't be done. Make it like a sitcom, 30 minutes and it's supposed to, fit, it, it, we, we all, we're supposed to laugh at the end. It's like a 60 minute Duck Dynasty episode. Like at the end, everybody's supposed to get around, gather around the table, eat the frog's legs and pray together, Right? Come on, Grant, make it better. Some of you are like, no, they can't sell him. It needs to get fixed. God needs to fix this. I'm going to tell you something. For this week, God's not going to fix this. No, we're actually going to end this week with Joseph getting out of the pit, but not so he could be reunited with his brothers, so he could actually be sold as a slave to Egypt. 
the arch enemy of the faith of his family. And we're going to have to deal with our feelings towards God all week. I'm bringing you to this moment because I want you to have a fight with God this week. God would love to talk to you about your pit. He's not intimidated by any question that you might have. We're going to have to deal with our feelings toward God, our feelings toward the brothers all week. We're going to have to look at our own pits, and then we're going to have to make some decisions about whether we're going to look at what David did, whether we're going to consider that, whether we're going to just dismiss Eric's plea that he made to every single one of us to look to find Jesus in that moment of clarity, but that heartbreaking moment of clarity. And then we're going to have to choose. And as you walk through this over the next seven days, I want to remind you about the question that we started with. I want you to think about Joseph and think about your life, and I want you to ask this question. Do you remember it? We've said it now. This is the third week in a row. How would my life be different if I was absolutely convinced that at every moment, no matter how good or how bad, that God was with me? Would I respond differently? Would I act differently? Would I speak differently? Would would I say something differently? What would come out of me if I was still absolutely convinced that God was with me? So now, don't just push Joseph off to the side. He gets pulled out of the hole. And they tie him up. Is he convinced that God is with him? As he's being led away out, and keeps looking back over his shoulder to see whether or not his brothers were coming after him. Would he be absolutely convinced in that moment that God was with him? Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm not giving away the end of the story, but I will tell you this. It's going to get worse before it's going to get better. This is the question that I've been thinking all week long. No matter what, what, what news we got this week as a family, Would my life be different? Would my response be different if I was absolutely convinced in the bottom of my soul that God was with me? Let me tell you who this message is for this weekend. This, is, that, this message is for everybody in the room who's living with a not yet. God, I need you to heal my spouse. Not yet. God, I need you to fix my marriage. Not yet. But God, it's dark down here. I know. I'm here with you. This is for everybody in the room who's living with a not yet. I'm not going to tie a tidy little bow on the top of it. I want us to understand and feel everything that Joseph is feeling, knowing that when we come back next week, we'll have an opportunity to open up our hearts and see where do you find God when it gets worse, not better. Believe me, this is killing me. If you knew how I'm wired, I just want to like hug everybody right now. Like, you're good, you're good, you're good. Joseph's not good. So now we have an opportunity just to hold on to one simple fact. No matter what kind of pit we are in, He is with you.
I don't care how dark it is. He is with you. I don't care how many times you've been there and thought you had escaped. He is with you. I don't care how difficult or broken the system and everything around it may seem. This one thing I know. He is with you. Eric, are you actually here, bro? I thought I saw him somewhere in this room. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for allowing us to see that in that dark moment, God convinced you that he was with you. You are an inspiration to this church family and to this pastor. May we all find in that dark moment what Eric found. That there was beauty in being still. That there was hope because he was with us. If you needed to get a little happier, you may want to wait two weeks to come back to church. Or if you really want to find out what happens to a guy who goes through a lot for the sake of Jesus, you may want to come back. Because I want to point out one more thing before we close. Up until this point of Joseph's story, the name of the Lord hasn't even been mentioned yet. But he will show he promised he would. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, I am uh, so unbelievably tempted to just make it all better, but instead I pray for those who are here today living with a not yet. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would be still, that we would know that you are God and that we would know that our God is with us. Lord, that is the only thing keeping Joseph alive right now. Father, I pray for those who may be here that are in the belly of a dark hole. I pray tonight after this service that your Holy Spirit would literally pick them up in your hands and carry them to the front so that they can pray with somebody. I pray that they would be courageous. I pray that they would be bold. I would pray that they would know that so many in this room have been there or are there currently. So Father, for all those who were an innocent victim, for all those who've used their life to be a professional victim. Lord, for all those who just desperately need a touch from you, I pray that they would seek out prayer tonight so they could know that you are with them. God, would you sustain us 
for the next seven days until we can come back and hear your name again. Would you allow us to be still this week? Lord, may we have eyes to see other people who may be around us who are desperately lost in the bottom of a pit. May we be the people to crawl down there with them. Maybe it's not about what we have to say, God. Maybe it's, it's just about being there. So God, I give you this tension. I pray that as Joseph continues on his journey, I pray that your hope would sustain us. I thank you for Eric's story. I thank you for the life that you are placing in him. And I thank you for the inspiration that that is to each one of us. We give you honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.